You're listening to the American Girl Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Sydney. And this is the American Girl Fan Club. So Sydney, what is your AG moment of the week? So I know I've talked about how my mom and I made my wedding dress, but we actually had plans all along to make a miniature version of it for my American Girl as well. And I ambitiously thought that I'd have it done before we got married. Uh, That didn't end up happening at all, uh, but we did just finish it. And I went back to where we got married and recreated a couple of the photos of my husband and I with my dolls. And it just made me so sentimental and really smiley. (laughs) It is so cute. I saw those on Instagram. They literally look like enchanted. It was amazing. Thank you. It's the most beautiful setting. So it was was just lovely to go back there. (laughs) What was your aging moment, Kristen? Well, I spent literally the last week with the most incredible group of American Girl fans. Uh, We were discussing American Girl stories, doing crafts, and playing with the awesome doll-size American Girl sets, like Mm -hmm. Courtney's Pac-Man machine, Julie's pinball machine, the foosball table, uh, and also American Girl Uno. We played that at least, like, twice a day. It was incredible. And we had um, pretty much an American Girl Olympics with the foosball table. (laughs) It was awesome. Was this for a camp that you put on? Yeah, it was for American Girl camp. Uh, The girls were between... 7 and 12, and it was just so much fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh, like that's my dream. I never did a camp like that. My mom used to teach little homeschool classes for my friends and I, and she would put in so much work and do amazing things. But I would have loved to have gone to a camp with my doll and just done American Girl solid stuff for like a week. Right, a week straight. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I have been looking forward to this episode since we started working on this podcast months ago. And I know everyone listening will be as excited about it as I am too, because today we are interviewing the Valerie Tripp. I am so excited. Valerie is essentially an icon within the American Girl community. She was a part of the American Girl from the very beginning, creating the stories and characters that are still so impactful, inspirational, and resonate with young girls and adults today. Around 10 years ago, I actually had the chance to meet Valerie at an event at the Seattle American Girl Place, and there was the happiest buzz of energy going on in that store. I mean, even the employees working there were just as excited to meet her as everyone else attending the event. And Kristen, Valerie is like the sweetest person I've ever known. I I mailed her a calendar I made of my doll photography years ago. And ever since then, we've kept in touch through emails and packages and letters and through every interaction I've ever had with her. She's made it so clear that the fans of her work are what inspire her and that she cares so deeply for like every person who has ever felt connected to her or her stories or her characters. And I just have endless love and respect for her. You know, I think it's so funny that we've both met Valerie Tripp, but we haven't met each other in person yet. <laughs> But I was fortunate to meet Valerie at the grand opening event of the New York American Girl Place a few years back. And it was such an incredible and fun experience. I was so lucky to have Valerie sign one of my Felicity books. Uh, She really is iconic to the American Girl community uh, since she's been there from the beginning. And getting to speak with her today is such a huge honor. I, I can't wait for us both to talk to Valerie again. And I'm so happy that it gets to be on this podcast And for those of you who don't know, Valerie Tripp is the award-winning and most prolific author of American Girl books, including those for Felicity and Elizabeth, Josefina. She wrote three books for Samantha, for Nellie, Kit and Ruthie, Molly and Emily, and Mary Ellen. And she's authored the Welly Wisher books and Hopscotch Hill School series. And at the moment, Valerie is writing a STEM series for National Geographic Kids. She's also adapted classics for Sterling Publishers and has written numerous leveled readers songs, stories, skills, book pages, poems, and even plays for educational publishers. Let's welcome Valerie to the show. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to the American Girl Fan Club. We're so happy to be speaking with you. Thank you. I'm happy to speak to you, too. So you've been creating the world of American Girl from the very beginning, but we know that your history working with the founder, Pleasant Roland, goes back even earlier than that. So how did you first meet Pleasant Roland, and what was it like working with her on American Girl in the early days? Well, I first met Pleasant when she hired me pretty much right out of college to work on a reading program uh, called The Super Kids. And the very first day at work, Pleasant handed me a yellow legal pad and a pencil, and she said, um, go write lyrics to a song that will teach the sound of hard C. And I thought, uh-oh, a mistake has been made here. I I, I don't know how to write 
lyrics to a song, but I was too shy to say anything. So I went down the hall and it turned out that all the thousands of hours that my sisters and I had spent listening to Beatles songs and, you know, the cast albums of musicals and Motown songs, it turned out I didn't know how to write lyrics. So um, I started out and Pleasant and I worked together on the Super Kids. So much fun writing stories and songs and skills sheets and poems and plays to help children learn how to read from pre-K all the way through third grade. Lots of laughter, lots of fun um, creating this wonderful group of characters. And we did that for about 10 years. And while we were supposed to be doing that job, Kristen, working very hard, we would uh, chat a lot. And uh, Pleasant had two sisters and a brother. And I have three sisters and a brother. And Pleasant and I would talk about the books that we had just loved, you know, passionately loved when we were growing up. And they were the books like Little Women or Anne of Green Gables or Understood Betsy or Beezus and Ramona, where the girls had the adventures and the girls caused the trouble and the girls were mischievous and subversive and passionate. And we didn't like the books like, you know, Tom Sawyer, where Becky Thatcher is always saying things like, oh, you know, Tom, don't go in that cave. And then she'd be like, you know, crying and stuff. And we we thought that we were the heroines of our stories. And we liked the stories where girls were the heroines. And so uh, then Pleasant got married and she moved to Wisconsin and I got married and moved to South Carolina. And one day she wrote to me and I still have the postcard. She said, you know, I've had this idea. Uh, how about writing about girls who are nine going on 10 years old, who live in different periods of history. And the books will be written for girls who are nine going on 10 years old. And in addition to the stories about these characters who lived in different periods of history, there'll be clothes that the girl can wear. There'll be uh, furniture. There'll be a doll and clothes for the doll. And I thought, again, okay. (laughs) Okay. But... Uh, so Pleasant, for some reason, trusted me to uh, write the descriptions of the first three characters, Molly, Samantha, and Kirsten. And in fact, I have them right here. I was just rereading them today. This is this is my typewritten uh, three-page descriptions of those first books. And you'll be interested to know, some things never change. So originally, Kirsten was called Kristen. Really? And, she was gonna, and she was going to be from Norway. No. So I did a lot of a lot of research about Norway. And then one day Pleasant called and said, hold the phone, stop everything. I have found the most adorable sweater and hat <laughs> and mittens, but they're from Sweden. So look, Kristen had to become Kirsten and she had to be from, from Sweden. This kind of thing happened all the time. So I wrote these three descriptions and I remember one day, Pleasant are just sitting under a tree, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin. And she said, you know, my niece thinks one of the characters should be an orphan. So that was Samantha. That led to this beautiful, rich story of Samantha's conflict between Grand Mary, whom she loves, and Aunt Cornelia. These two different ideas of what a young girl should be or do or aspire to. So that suggestion from Pleasant's niece turned out to be a perfect setup for Samantha. So Pleasant and I knew that we wanted to do turn of the century, turn of the last century. That was Samantha. We wanted to do the Kirsten story because in those stories, you know, nature itself would be Kirsten's antagonist and she would have all these adventures and animals. You know, you just can't do better than a lot of animals in a story. And plus that sort of bittersweet a richness that any immigrant story has, that longing for the past would would lend a a real richness and depth to those stories. And then, of course, we wanted to do a World War II character. And I always wanted to do a Depression-era character. From the very beginning, I kept saying, let's do a Depression-era character. And Pleasant, in her wisdom, said, "Mm, you know, that's kind of complicated. The concepts are kind of complicated. So let's, let's wait. I now think maybe she wanted to wait until I knew what I was doing, too. So I got to choose which character I wanted to write about first. And it seems odd to say this now, but I chose Molly because I felt sorry for Molly. I knew that Samantha would have all that gorgeous, you know, Victorian Edwardian stuff. 
And I knew that Kirsten would have all of that gorgeous Swedish stuff. And I thought, oh, now how am I going to make Molly? So I just took Molly under my wing. How am I going to make Molly lovable? And now when I think back, I mean, just I love all my characters. And I'm really glad I started with Molly and wrote about that particular period of time first. So it all really is a story of friendship, meeting Pleasant and working with Pleasant for all of those years on all of those characters until she had this wonderful, enormous, beautiful, world-changing idea. And it's always been just the the joy and the challenge and the delight and the honor of my life that um, I was able to be the person who gave voice to so many of those characters. My goodness. I... I'm just, my heart is pounding hearing you give all of these (laughs) new details, like just the Christian and the sweat. I mean, knowing that Kirsten was uh, made because Pleasant found a beautiful sweater makes me so happy. Um, I know that you said that you, that you wrote or the descriptions for the first three characters, but did you draw any stories from like your own life when creating Molly? Oh, absolutely. I mean, from all of the characters. In fact, I love just immersing myself in the world of all of these different characters. And so often I would use things that had happened to me. Now, sometimes I would write the story to set the record straight, you Mm. know, to make something turn out the way I wish it had turned out. And then at other times I would write the story based on something that happened in my life to say, I'm sorry. For example, one of my favorite books that I've written is Brave Emily. And Brave Emily is about Molly's friend, Emily, who comes from England because so many children um, were, for their safety, um, came from England to the United States or Australia or the countryside of England. And in Brave Emily, I have Emily make up for something terrible that I did. In Brave Emily, uh, all the girls, all the children in the class are giving recorders this was apparently very popular at the time of World War II. Some guy decided children should learn how to play the recorder. So everybody got a free recorder. And um, I remembered that uh, when I was exactly Emily's age and Molly's age, I was studying the clarinet. And I was supposed to practice 45 minutes a night. And I was supposed to write that down in a marble composition book. And my mother was supposed to sign. Yes, she has practiced 45 minutes. And what I actually did was I would practice for 15 minutes. And sometimes as she was signing, my mother would say, those were the longest 15 minutes of my life. I was not gifted and talented at the clarinet. After my mother had signed, I would change the one to a four. Oh, Valerie. (laughs) So I had to wait about 35 years, but then I wrote Brave Emily, and in order to atone to my poor mother for pulling her into this larceny and, you know, making her part of this deception, which I don't think she ever knew, um, I wrote Brave Emily. I have Emily do exactly that. She says she's practiced 45 minutes on the recorder. Really, she's only practiced 15, and she changed the one to the four after Mrs. Guilford has signed to attest that she actually did practice. So sometimes the things come from my life that I'm very embarrassed about. (laughs) And then other times the stories come from things in my life that are completely wish fulfillment. I wanted a horse so badly, so badly. And I would say to my parents, we can keep the horse in the garage. I'll ride the horse to school. The horse can graze on the playground while I'm at school. And then I'll ride the horse home. And I I lived in the suburbs. So my parents said, you know, uh, no. And I wanted a horse so badly I would put little tufts of grass in front of the front tire of my bike. I named my bike, you know, Blue Midnight, and I loved my bike, and I would pretend my bike was a horse. So when I grew up and I was able to write about a girl living during the colonial period as Felicity, don't you know I gave her a horse and gave her a huge horse adventure and also gave her all the courage and bravery I wish I had had when I was growing up as well. So sometimes the stories are things I make up that I'm sorry for, and sometimes they're complete wish fulfillment, things that I wish had happened to me, and then other times they were absolutely things that that did happen to me. But the stories always come from a mixture of research, memory, observation, suggestions, absolute straightforward suggestions from 
uh, the girls who write to me, one girl wrote to me and said, look, I just broke my arm. I want Felicity to break her arm. So I wrote a story where Felicity takes a dare and she walks on a roof and she falls down. She breaks her arm. It was marvelously horrifying what happened to you if you broke your arm in the 18th century. You wore your sling was made out of leather and metal. They put leeches on your arm. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. I remember that very well, seeing the illustration <laughs> with the leeches. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my goodness, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so some, you know, some little girl who broke her arm gave me the idea for that story. Wow. Well, can you describe the process of creating an American girl? Um, like, do you write the stories before there are character and designs in the works? Or do you base the stories off of designs that are already given to you? You know, sometimes it's one way and sometimes it's another. As I say, like from the beginning, I always wanted to do a character who lived at the time of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And when I, it really starts with the research in the historical period. And now I'm going to tell you the whole secret of writing an American Girl <laughs> book so that so that you can do it yourself. So what you do is... You do all the research you can think of in the world. You read every book that you can find written about that period. You read every book you can find written during that period. If it's possible, you watch movies, you listen to music. When I was researching the Mary Ellen books, I would watch movies. And sometimes my husband would stick his head in my office and say, what's going on in here? And it would be because I would be listening, you know, to some musical from the 50s and laughing and laughing. So you just immerse yourself in that period. If you can, you talk to people who live during that period, you talk to experts, and then you sort of stir that history together with what you know. I'm also very inspired by all the girls that I meet in classrooms or Girl Scout troops or, you know, libraries. And I try to spend as much time as I can with real little girls. And I like to think of what's going on in their lives today. And think of the story that I write as this lovely, like a ribbon, like a ribbon of connection that starts with them and flows through time and connects them to this character that I'm writing about. And sometimes that ribbon is made up of emotion. Sometimes it's made up of actual events and everything. So you stir that together as well with observation and with memory. And then in the case of Kit, I present that. I presented that to American Girl. And they would say, okay, that's a good idea. Let's do a a girl who lived during uh, the Depression. In other cases, like in the case of Mary Ellen, um, American Girl came to me and said, we're thinking of doing a character who lived during the 50s. How would you do that? So again, I do a lot of research and I try to figure out what is the crucial dilemma? What is the major either economic, social, or political conflict of that period of time. With Mary Ellen, I decided that the conflict was conformity versus diversity. Suddenly, we all have a television set in our living room. And on that television set, we're seeing commercials telling us what, how our house should look and what we should buy and how we should talk versus the diversity realizing there's a giant world out there. And you know who am I in that world? So that was Mary Ellen's conflict. When I hit upon that conflict of the period, that tells me my character's personality. Felicity is a very good example. Felicity lives in the 18th century. She would like more independence than a girl in the 18th century in her position would have had. So her struggle out of impulsiveness and self-indulgence toward self-governance is what's going on in the colonies at that time as well. So it starts with the historical period that informs my character. When American Girl and I decide, yes, we're going to go forward with this character, and I've written sort of the arc of her story, and I've come up with her family, um, then we start talking about the products from that period. And so that, too, goes back and forth. In the case of Kit, for example, I said, now I want this character to be someone who wants to be a reporter. So I want, please, could she have a typewriter? So American Girl made about the cutest little typewriter you've ever seen in your life. Pleasant always said that was her favorite product that they ever made, Kit's typewriter. And I love the symbolism of the typewriter, too. It's not when Kit's father gives her this typewriter. He's not just giving her a typewriter. He's saying, I think it's wonderful that you want to be a writer. I I want to do everything I can to support that aspiration. So the typewriter stands for more just the physical thing that enables Kit to write. It's also her family's encouragement to her to, to be a writer. Then. 
the product development people came back to me with Kit's Christmas dress. And it's a red dress with a white collar. And on the collar was a little Scotty dog pin. They said, you know, the collar was just kind of too big to be just all white and blank. And so they put this little Scotty dog pin on there. From the Scotty dog pin, I created the whole character of Inky, Uncle Hendrick's horrible dog. And from that, that led to this Christmas story where Kit has to go and stay at Uncle Hendrick's house. So sometimes the request for the product results in the product. Sometimes the product inspires me for to create a character and a storyline. It's a very, it's such a team effort. There's so much synergy. There's so much synergy that happens when you're working with a team that the researchers would help me. My researcher on the kit stories was Sally Wood and her mother had scarlet fever and had to be quarantined. And I just took that whole story and used it in a short story for Kit. And then my researcher on the Josefina stories was was Kathy Burkowski. And she could tell me, you know, how long it took to get from one place to another or how many blankets uh, somebody conceivably could have woven. The researchers contribute so much to the stories. Our board of advisors always contribute an enormous amount to the stories too. When I was working on Josefina, they gave me a bill of lading. They gave me a list of objects that had come up from Mexico City to New Mexico. And, you know, we were told, oh, this was a very tough way of life. And, you know, it was just subsistence and everything. On that list of goods that had come up from Mexico City was a red taffeta petticoat. And I thought, oh, you know, people crave beauty. People always crave beauty. So just that bill of lading informed me about what Josefina's life would have been like. So the advisors help and the researchers help and the girls who read the stories and send me suggestions help and things that I observe. Just the case in the case of Josefina, um, the landscape itself informed her personality that you know, it's very subdued and muted tones, and the houses fit right into that landscape because they're made of adobe, this beautiful adobe. When you go inside the courtyard, there's music and chili ristras and delicious odors and blankets being woven and all these gorgeous colors. And so I thought, oh, that's Josefina's personality. She's quiet on the outside, but inside there's all this music and life and excitement going on. So the inspiration comes from all over everywhere, um, stirred together. A wonderful, wonderful thing happens when you become interested in a period of time or a place. It turns out the universe is full of the information that you need. You just have to start paying attention. It turns out just, you know, conversations that you overhear or a dish that you have at a restaurant, all of the universe is trying to help you and inform you and you just have to be open to it. So that's, I I couldn't say the beginning or the end of where the ideas come from. They just come from all over. So we know each character must have a special place in your heart. Do you happen to have a favorite one or connect to one the most? I really don't. I really don't. I th- as I said before, I think it's because I, I almost know no boundaries when I'm immersing myself in a character. And sometimes I would have three centuries on my desk at the same time. So sometimes I'd be immersed in the 18th century Williamsburg with Felicity at the same time that I was immersed in turn of the century for Samantha and the same time I was immersed in the 20th century for Molly. But you just listen carefully to those characters. You just think about them and live with them. So I don't have one character who's who's my my favorite. Um, some of them, Josefina was difficult in the beginning. I had a hard time getting to know Josefina, but I came to love her dearly. And um, Samantha uh, is not like me at all because she's so polite and kind and generous. <laughs> And so I had some trouble sort of getting to know Samantha as well. But you just, you know, I knew Samantha because I knew the house she lived in. I walked past that house every day when I was a child on my way to school. And I knew her grandmother, Grand Mary. I created that name, Grand Mary, because I based her on a woman that I knew named Grand Mary from that that period. So I don't have one character that I love more than all the rest or identify with more than all the rest. I identify with all of them because they're highly flawed. <laughs> they're highly flawed and they're passionate and they're funny 
and they mean well and they love their families and their friends. So we have that in common. And then it's a great pleasure actually to vicariously begin to be, you know, as brave as Felicity might be. I can write a story and say, Felicity, I'm going to send you out in a thunderstorm in the dark on a horse in the woods and then imagine what that would feel like. Whereas I would never be you know, brave enough to do that myself. I think that's why these characters really resonate with with young girls and even adults. We can find where we can wish to be like them. And then <laughs> times where I'm like, this is where I immediately connect to this sense of being flawed for sure. <laughs> I think the other thing is too that um, I think the fact that I respect my readers so much, I think my readers know I'm taking them seriously. I've never, ever, ever, even as a child, I didn't think that there were, you know, child-sized portions of passion. I think children feel hope and disappointment and fear and anger and love and joy just as strong as grown-ups do. It doesn't matter what size you are. Your emotions are the same. And I think that my readers understand that I I take them seriously. I have a lot of respect for them. I'm right there with them feeling all of those emotions. Yeah. When reading these books, I think you just pinned exactly why they meant so much to me as a kid. Because, And I've thought about this a lot as an adult, as I've gotten older. My emotions as a 10-year-old were just as strong and valid and, and just monumental as they are to me now. And I always felt like I was seen in the American Girl books, especially Molly's and Felicity's books. I loved them. Um, and I'm I'm now wondering, having having had this conversation with you, you as a kid, I don't know what your personality was like, but could you tell us um, which doll do you think you would have related to most or which character that you wrote um, would you have related to most as a kid if you were reading these books for the first time now? Well, Sydney, I'm not going to try to slip away from answering that question, but I'm going to tell you something about myself as, myself as a child, and it's still true now. I'm just a voracious reader. I always have three books going at the same time, and one of them can be nonfiction, and the other one can be, you know, um, Jane Austen for the ninth trillionth time, and another one can be, you know, modern fiction and... I know myself, and I know as a child, I would have read every single one of the books. I would have uh, felt so in tune with the characters, it would have almost hurt me physically. I would have loved the characters so, 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 so much. I wasn't really a doll person. Um, you know, my, I, my family was big and uh, rambunctious, and we spent a lot of time outdoors uh, my sisters and I would put on plays and we, you know, made up games and played hide and seek. And we had an enormous amount of freedom and, uh, you know, sledding and swimming and just, so I'm not really sure I would have uh, chosen one of the dolls and invested a hundred percent in that uh, character. There isn't one. I'm not sure I could have created such a panoply of varied characters if I had been the kind of child who would have been singular. I think, I think, and I, I'm not claiming this as a virtue. Don't, don't hear me bragging about this. I think to write convincingly and winningly for a child as an adult, you have to have been a certain kind of a child yourself. You have to be a child who was always observing, just the tiniest bit from the outside, actually. You have to have been a child who put herself, you know, imaginatively in any number of fairy tales or movies or books that you read or even articles from newspapers and magazines. You had to be a chameleon. And I, I think that chameleon-like nature probably would have meant that I wouldn't have been able to decide on just yeah. one of the characters that who meant the most to me. Nor would I say that any one of the characters so beautifully, lavishly, and with such attention to detail. I can't say enough about the work that Heather and all the product development people do. There's such pleasure in the excellence of the products that they have created for the characters that enable the reader to lift those stories right up off the page and, and, 
expand them. I think I would have enjoyed all of that uh, interacting physically with all of the, all of the products and everything. And I think no one has ever plumbed the depths of the mystery of how we interact with a character or a doll that sometimes I'm my doll's mother and I put her to bed and I brush her hair and I change her clothes. Sometimes I am my doll and she moves and speaks for me. And sometimes I'm my doll's best friend and she's my partner in an adventure. And the fluidity, again, that fluidity, the ability to relate to that character in any in a myriad of ways, I think is quite a lovely thing because it leads obviously to empathy. It means that then I as a person can observe someone and walk in that person's shoes that I've I've learned that empathy, that ability to imagine myself with or as or friends with another person. All of that, if empathy is a muscle, all of the strength of that muscle being developed through this imaginative play with the character, with the doll and with her objects, I think is a is a another reason why American Girl has lasted so long, because you can interact with it in so many different ways. Since the early days of Molly through Mary Ellen, you must have seen a lot of changes in the company and the characters over the years. How do you feel about the evolution of American Girl over time? And do you think your readers and audiences have changed? I am just so blown away and so proud of how American Girl has changed and adapted to the... You know what? I, I showed you this when I started writing this. This is a typewriter. This is onion skin. This is this is type that you erased. The internet didn't even exist. I mailed my stories originally. American Girl has... And that's just a metaphor for how life has changed. And American Girl, it seems to me, has kept up with that time. And I love the way it has just... Ex- It has just grown exponentially with the different voices that it now uh, encompasses and welcomes. And I'm so honored to be part of this sisterhood of authors. So I'm very proud of the way American Girl has grown and changed. Let me say that I certainly didn't foresee that at all. And still to this day, when I write a story, I don't think in terms of thousands of girls reading the book, I think about one girl whom I to whom I am speaking. One girl. It's me and that girl connecting and communicating through my character and through my story. And I think that that girl's world has obviously changed from when we started imagining these books back in, you know, 1985 and 1986. Maybe the, her surroundings have changed. But to tell you the truth, I think at heart, the challenges and the joys and the things that really matter to my girl who's seven, eight, nine, ten years old and reading these books, she's trying to figure out who she is. She's trying to figure out how can she be a generous, contributing member of her class, of her circle of friends, of her family, of her town. And at the same time, how can she be her own quirky, unique self? I think that's the that's what's happening when you're nine going on 10. The world has opened up to you when you're nine going on 10 because you can read independently. And in school, you're learning so much about what's going on around you, past, present, and into the future. And I think that that, that self-awareness and that earnest goofy intensity that girls have has not changed. And I think that's one reason why still today, you know, the Molly books are what, 35 years old, but a girl can read Molly now in 2022, 2023, and identify exactly with Molly's journey because she's on that journey too. She's on that same journey. I think you've captured that so well. Like when you when you brought up your favorite books that you and Pleasant used to read as children, the Anne of Green Gables series, you know, Ramona and Beezus, all of those, they have those same deep feelings. And I just I love that you were able to incorporate that into all of the American Girl series that you wrote. So thank you for doing that so, so beautifully. 
I don't know how to do it any other way. I don't know how to write a story any other way. I don't know how to make a story matter without having the character start out one way, be faced with difficulties and problems, and emerge at the end. You know, the Heraclitus saying, you never step into the same river twice. I would say if there's one overarching theme to all of the books that I write, it is, yeah, things are going to change. There are going to be losses. They're going to be disappointments. They're going to be surprises. And they're going to be gains and wins and triumphs and joys too. And at the end, you're going to be different from the way you are now. But you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Not the same, but okay. You've often referred to your grown-up fans as your alums, which Mm -hmm. utterly delights me. (laughs) And you've had such a big impact on the lives of so many women who grew up reading your work, and these stories are still entertaining and educating girls growing up now. So why do you think your characters and stories continue to resonate with new readers today? Kind of, well, you kind I, of yeah, you kind of uh, addressed that I earlier. Think, I yeah. think because, and, and I think too, if we're going to talk about the alums, I think that uh, currently the stories resonate with them because we're in a difficult period. We're in a a difficult stretch of history. And people have said that this uh, sort of renaissance, shall we say, of interest in American Girl is nostalgia. I actually think it's something different from nostalgia. Nostalgia is lovely. Nostalgia, that sweet longing for the past is absolutely lovely. And that's a delicious thing to revisit. I think that this interest is powered also from the optimism that my alums remember from the stories. They remember, you know, things got really rough there for Kit and her family. And Kit, through grit and hard work uh, and humor, came through that period of time not only the nostalgia of thinking back to when they read the books as a simpler time in their own lives, although I believe just as passionate, but I think the message of and the way the books sort of nourish you and replenish you and reassure you and inspire you and give you just the tiniest nudge to say, okay, now what are you going to do about it? Because all of the American girls don't just sit on their hands or wring their hands. They do something about it. And I think that's another reason why the alums go back to the stories to to be um, re-inspired. Well, we at the American Girl Fan Club love getting behind-the-scenes tidbits. Are there any other stories or memories from your career at American Girl that may surprise our listeners? Well, there are two stories that I would like to tell, and one is about Kit. The Kit is uh, unusual. She's one of a kind because in her case, the, her stories are based on a real person, and that real person is my mother. One of the my hopes from the very beginning when Pleasant and I started was that the stories would spark conversations among the generations, that a girl would go to her grandmother and say, hey, you know, this character's the same age as you, what was your childhood like? And so I was able to do that myself when I was writing the stories about Kit. My mother wanted very much to be a journalist and her father lost his business during the depression. And her mother opened their house to boarders just as Kit's family does. And her brother had a paper route just as Kit's brother does, and there was no money for him to go to college. And so many of the things that happened in the Kit stories actually happened to my mother. It was so much fun because I could call my mother and say, Mom, you know, it's a hot day in August. What would you be wearing? Or, you know, what are your memories of school? And what, who were the boarders who came and stayed in your house? So the Kit stories were a wonderful way to uh, revisit my mother's childhood and find out more about her child and then sort of childhood and honor that childhood and her own grit and determination. Oddly, at the same time that the Kit stories were based on my mother and Kit is based on my mother, my mother as a grown-up was very much like Aunt Millie, who quotes Shakespeare and knew three different ways to use anything and get the most life out of any object and prolong the life of objects and save things and very thrifty. And she taught my sisters and my brother and me the 
those habits of thrift. So my mother was several different characters. In fact, one of the important things I'd like to say to everyone who reads the books is pay attention to those mothers. Pay it, don't let Kit distract you from her own mother, from Mrs. Kittredge. Don't let Josefina distract you from Tia Dolores. Don't let Mary Ellen distract you from her older sister, Joan. All those women characters grow and change. All of them start out one way and their lives are changed radically by the problems that they face. Pay attention to the all of the characters of all of the different ages when you when you read the stories, especially if you're going to revisit them as an adult and maybe as a parent yourself. My daughter used to say, Mom, do you even like these girls? Because all you ever do is give them problems, which is true. So I give all my characters, all my characters problems. And then, of course, I have to be just so grateful for, you know, Pleasant trusting me to write the stories. And I'll never forget, you know, did research and everything. I read everything I could find about World War II and just love doing the research. And then, as usual, the day comes where I have to actually sit down and write. I put that day off as long as possible because I, <laughs> the other parts, I find the research so much fun. But, you know, you have deadlines. So a day comes where you have to actually get to work. And as Pleasant would always say, there's only room for one hand on that pencil. And by that, she meant it's up to you. So, well, I remember the day that I sat down to write Meet Molly. And... I had no idea what I was doing. I had never written an American Girl book before. No one had ever written an American Girl book before. I didn't know. I didn't know what shape or form this story was going to take. So it happened to be the end of October and people were getting ready for Halloween. And I said, you know, girls today dress up in costumes. And I did some research and found out that, uh, during, you know, World War II, girls dressed up and went out trick-or-treating. And I remembered the Halloween when I was nine, going on 10, exactly Molly's age. And my best friend Bobby and I dressed up as hula dancers, which was a great thing for Molly because uh, there was a lot of interest in Pearl Harbor and Hawaii after during World War II. So uh, Bobby and I made ourselves a Hawaiian hula dancer, costumes out of newspaper. You keep the folded part around your waist and then you cut slits and then you staple green crepe paper and you have a very nice swishy grass skirt. And we made ourselves lays out of, you know, you can make a Kleenex look like a flower and we connected those and then we sprayed them with perfume so they smelled good. And at some houses we had to actually do the hula before we got our treat. And on the way home, you know, we'd gotten just the tiniest bit greedy. So on the way home, we have our brown paper bags just full of treats. And uh, as we were walking home, a boy named Stevie Brown, Stevie Brown, who was who was a neighbor, jumped out from behind a bush, squirted us with a hose, ruined our costumes. The green dye from the crepe paper ran down our legs. Our lays, which were made out of Kleenexes, got all soggy. Our brown paper bags got wet on the bottoms. The bottoms split and burst, and our treats fell on the sidewalk. In those days, people gave you things like donuts. You can imagine how we got scolded for making a mess. And I was just so mad. I was nine years old. I was so mad. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Twenty. 52 years, but I got my revenge on Stevie Brown because in the very first American Girl book I ever wrote, I had Molly dressed up as a Halloween, a hula dancer, and I had her brother Ricky squirt her with the hose and ruin her, her costume. And so I always like to say to children when I go to speak to school groups now, I'm sure you're much nicer than I am. And when somebody does something to you that you don't like, you forgive them. And I just want you to say, okay, I just want you to promise me, say to me today, you promise me that you can forgive people, but don't forget those things that made you so mad. Tuck those things away in your heart, because I promise you, if you do that, I promise you those things will be juicy, wonderful stories for you. If you notice and remember the things that are happening to you right now, your imagination will never let you down. Now, imagination is not like a bowl of apples, and if you take one out, 
your down one. Imagination is like a tree that just grows if you nourish it by paying attention to the things that happen to you, paying, holding on to your hopes and dreams, and remembering the things that have a lot of emotion attach, attached to them. I promise you, your imagination will always be fruitful. So I always am grateful for that day sitting at the table, remembering Halloween and having that memory go directly into the story that I wrote about Meat Mom. Oh, Valerie, this reminds me of something. Um, my brother and I, he didn't read many American Girl books, but he did read Molly's series. <laughs> and he and I both read Changes for Molly. And when we read it, we were both kind of blown away that you had written it um, at the end so that Molly didn't end up playing Miss Victory and she got to stay home and you feel so bad for Molly and you're just so miserable with her. And then she gets to have her dad walk through that door and be alone with him in the house for their reunion. And as a kid, when I read that, I was quite disappointed. I was just like, well, why couldn't, why couldn't she have gone to the, you know, gone be, and been Miss Victory and then come home and her dad was there. But as I've gotten older, I've just grown to appreciate that book and that ending so much. And it's one of the reasons why Molly series is one of my favorites. And I'm just wondering, was that what made you decide to have that be the ending? I loved the fact that Molly worked very hard to be Miss Victory. And I loved the fact that uh, she thought that the reunion was going to have to be, ta-da! Mm-hmm. And that she would surprise her father by being, you know, having curly hair and not wearing her glasses and being the star of the show. And I love the poignancy. I think Dad even says, you're my Ollie Molly. It means so much to him to come home. And she is who she is. She didn't need a new hairdo. She didn't need spotlights. She didn't need taps on her shoes. He loved her, every atom of her, exactly as she was. And I loved giving that message to girls, too. Don't think that you have to change yourself. Don't think that you have to be the big star in order to win affection. People love you for who you are. And I loved the fact that Molly found out that her father was just so happy to be home and to see her again and hug her and be with her. That's what he was waiting for. And that's what she was waiting for, too, through all of the books and stories. Thank you so much for writing that. Uh, I I definitely felt that message as a kid. And, you know, you don't see that always in in media and in children's books. And I think it is such an important um, feeling to get across. But that's very sweet. Thank you. (laughs) So after our podcast episode with Carly, you wrote me a note that said, while I may be the person who puts the words on the page, it is my readers who make the stories matter, who bring them to life by enacting them with their dolls and making up their own adventures for the characters. My readers are my inspiration as well as my partners in imagination and creativity. And I am so very grateful to them. Valerie, this this email meant so much to me because like how I feel about my whole childhood is framed by the American Girl stories. And I still reread like every series that you wrote now. um, And they mean just as much to me now as they did when I was a kid. So can you share a little more insight into your note and tell us how you've been able to connect with your readers over the years? Well, I've in the old days, I used to get lots and lots of letters from my readers with you know specific ideas for uh, stories that they wanted me to write. And, or sometimes they would tell me about their own lives. I remember one girl wrote to me after she had read the Josefina books and she said, we have you know, we have a donkey in our backyard. Do you? You know, they they want they would want to. Um, they always impressed me so much by what they drew forth from the stories. Girls would write to me and say, "I know how Josefina feels." You know, because my parents are divorced, and I have a stepmother. And I, sometimes I wonder: Is it okay for me to love my stepmother? Is it disloyal of me to love my stepmother as much as I love my mother? Or girls would write to me and say, I know how Molly feels, you know, because my mother was just deployed and she's gone from the household and I can't wait for her to come home. So my readers never had any trouble making that connection between what was going on with my character, who sometimes lived 
in very, very different circumstances, but they connected emotionally to the character. And I always found that very, very inspiring, specific inspiration, specific things that had happened in their lives. And then this sort of more emotional um, and almost philosophical connection with the girls because of what they were going through. So my readers were my inspiration through the letters that they wrote me. And then also, of course, um, from visiting the Girl Scout troops and Brownie troops. And during COVID, I would uh, Zoom with uh, classes and I have gone to schools and libraries. And I'm going to a library pretty soon, um, just a couple of weeks from now. And I just love being with little girls. Just just three days ago, a little girl named Yael came here to tea and she said, I would like you to write a story where a girl makes friends with a bully who has bullied her friends and her friends are hurt by that. Yael, by the way, is nine years old and she's telling, is that not the most, I can't, I was like, just hang on. I want to write that story. Right. I got, so, what a wonderful, thoughtful storyline. And maybe that happened to Yael herself. I don't know, but see what I mean? The girls inspire me by how thoughtful they are, by how reflective they are, by how deeply they care about things. They'll write to me about their fears about the environment. They write to me about how much they care about animals. And so specifically, they're inspirational. And then sort of just, you know, globally, they're inspirational in terms of theme and content. But above all, they inspire me because of their curiosity and their energy and their zaniness and their joyfulness. And I think you just can't help but be optimistic and uncynical when you write for and about young girls because they are so uncynical themselves. They're not going to waste their time being cynical. That's a dead end. That's not going to get you anywhere. So they're, you know, they're just filled with, they're just the personification of promise to me, just the personification of promise. And so they inspire me in that way as well. And maybe one of the most important ways they inspire me is they have busy lives. My stories have to be worth it. I have to be sure that everything I create is worth their time and attention and emotional investment. It can't be thoughtless or careless or lame or scanty. It has to be rich. It has to be meaningful. It has to be something that they can pick up off the page and relate to metaphorically and emotionally. So they're my inspiration in that I want them to be pleased with what I have created for them and challenged by what I have created for them and educated by what I have created for them and entertained by what I have created for them as well. They trust me. And so I have to be worthy of that trust. So they inspire me in that way as well. As you may have noticed, there's quite a buzz around American Girl lately, especially online with sharing stories of nostalgia and fun memes. What do you think is behind this current American Girl renaissance? I think that um, I love that this is a way of communicating. I love that it's creating a horizontal community. In other words, it's what you have in common. And so someone who lives in a whole other continent, if they have had this shared experience with you, you then you're, you're communicating to each other. And I do get a kick out of it that the form this has taken is humor. I think that that's creative. And it's so funny because really, I sort of feel like these women who are young women who are creating these stories and, and memes are doing exactly what they were encouraged to do by American Girl, which was use your creativity, speak up, speak out, make some noise, draw attention to things. They're doing exactly what the books, you know, and stories encourage you to do. And I would say the next step then is action, some kind of, you know, constructive action. But I love it that they're kind of, you know, they're supporting one each other, each other through humor and making that, that connection with each other through this experience that they shared when they were when they were younger and sort of you know bringing it along into their into their lives now i think there's nothing more powerful than story there's nothing i would rather do than listen to someone tell me a story just listen and listen and listen just 
you know, take it in. I think the power of story is enormous. I know in education, play and story are the best ways to engage children so that they are invested in what they're learning and so that they care about what they're learning. So I'm impressed, but not terribly surprised that the alums have turned to storytelling as a way to connect with one each other, with each other and talk about what's going on, you know, in the world right now. And now I'd like to ask you, Kristen, if you were going to give me an assignment talking about stories, would you, would you like me to write about a new character? And if so, what would she be like? Or would you like more stories about a character you already know? Would you like a whole other genre? If you were going to give me an assignment today, what assignment would you give me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, Samantha was like my closest to heart growing up. All that's like, and I see what you mean. Like she had all the fancy, pretty stuff and my mind went princess like style. And I was like obsessed with that. But I, one thing like that you both mentioned about Molly and not necessarily getting what she wanted in Changes for Molly, I think that I want that story told in in many aspects, because I actually worked with a few girls last week, and that came up a few times with the Girl of the Year stories. They're like, "Why does she? Uh, why does McKenna uh, get to join this team? And why, she, of course, she's going to get. It. We already know the main character is always going to get what she wants, mm-hmm. and and they they didn't like that. These yeah. little girls did not like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, I'm I want to say I was so proud of them. I was like, you guys See? understand yes. that life can be disappointing, mm-hmm. and it's okay." And I think that that story is something I definitely want to be told and really instilled in these little girls. Kristen, Kristen, you <laughs> say you like Samantha. You know what I've always thought? Samantha lives with Grand Mary. What if one day, knock on the door, it's her other grandparents. And they say, okay, Samantha has lived with you for 10 years, but now we want her to come and live with us. They could live on a hard scrabble farm Oh, in Nebraska. Oh, they could, you know, we could send her any, Kirsten, I love this. I love this. Kristen, thank you so much. What, wouldn't that be, see, isn't it exciting? Yes. To think yes. we could, Samantha could have a whole other adventure, a whole other look, a whole other life. See how much fun this job is? Absolutely. <laughs> isn't, wouldn't that be great? I can't wait to write that story. Oh my gosh. So please. now, <laughs> Sydney, Sydney, it's your turn. <laughs> Sydney, what would you would you like a whole new character, or would you like more stories about a certain character, or is there a different genre? Is there something you would like me to write for you? Oh, Valerie, I, I never thought you'd ask. <laughs> um, well, talking about girls growing up in the American Girl characters, I've always hoped that Kit um, would become a reporter during World War II. That that side has always fascinated me, and like where she would go in the world. Um, I've I've kind of dreamed of that quite a bit, but I've also always dreamed of a character who, this is going to sound so silly, but you know I love my chickens, who's, who's always wanted a pet chicken and who has a pet chicken. Um, that has delighted me so much. Just I've, I've made a miniature hen for my mini-me American <laughs> girl. And um, yeah, I've as a child, I would write stories about my doll with her little chicken. And um, I've always thought you would do an excellent job at writing that story. <laughs> Well, that would be, you know, and of course, Kit does have chickens she because does. they, you know, when Aunt Millie comes and, and I love that too, that discomfort that she has with Aunt Millie. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, really? Chickens, you know, <laughs> selling eggs. Yes. And so, you know, we could, we could give those chickens a dandy adventure. I think Sydney. so. We could, we could give those chickens a fabulous adventure. Yes, we could, that, we could make that a wonderful, wonderful story. So more about Kit. And I too would love, I mean, when I can't sleep at night, I think about, you know, the characters' futures, you know, do you think Felicity marries Ben? Maybe Felicity marries Ben <laughs> and they started, there's a store in Williamsburg called the Davidson store, Ooh. you know, so yeah, I love imagining what, what their lives are outside the canvas of the, of the stories that we tell. Yes. And think, you know, Kit's also a good photographer, so we could have, mm-hmm. she would be like, you know, Martha Gellhorn or one of those fabulous World War II oh, women who were, you know, just in the midst of the battle and everything. Yeah, we, that would be, that would be really, really wonderful for Kit. I would like to see her. I would like to see her do that. We can figure out how old she would be and, you know, <laughs> where we would send her. Maybe we should, you know, we could send her into the Pacific. That would be wonderful. Be so interesting. 
And then we could put her on, you know, a ship or something. I have always wondered if you imagined lives for your characters after you've written them. Right. And I mean, I know you're not writing more <laughs> stories about them as adults, but like you must just have so many different stories and possibilities that are running through your head for every single character that you've written. Well, this, <laughs> this is wonderful. Too, I, have to tell you, I have to tell you as a writer, I mean, it was actually very sweet because the people in charge of the podcast wrote me an email and said, you know, how many stories have you written about the American girls? <laughs> and I only talked about the ones that were actually published. So if you, <laughs> I have many, many, many chapters and stories about the characters that just weren't, you know, just weren't good enough. And um, so, yes, I have many adventures for the, for the characters that um, never saw the light of day, but, and I also do love, love, love to imagine them and imagine, you know, imagine the influence they would have had on the worlds that they lived in, because they all live at very important turning points in history. So you like to imagine, did Samantha go to college and, mm-hmm. and did she decide she was going to, you know, do social work? I, I am very helped by the fact that when I was about 11, I fell in love with Eleanor Roosevelt. And so talking about Samantha, all that I knew about Eleanor Roosevelt's childhood and young womanhood helped me. Obviously, writing about Kit and the Depression, everything that I had read about Eleanor Roosevelt in the White House during that period helped me. Writing about Molly, all that I had read about Eleanor Roosevelt during World War II helped me. So I I like to think of, you know, Samantha growing up and being a friend, you know, to Eleanor Roosevelt or Molly growing up and being someone who maybe runs the Red Cross. Um, I would love to see have them have an effect on the on their worlds. They've had such a beautiful legacy. And as our final question, I would love to ask you, what lasting message or idea do you hope that readers take away from your stories? I think the l- lasting message I would like them to take away from the stories is that they are unique that they should surely listen carefully to the messages that they are, you know, barraged with um, by marketers and by every uh, form of social media and uh, every picture that they see. But just the way, the way they look is unique. Their character is unique. And in fact, I may create characters who live on a page, but they're creating the characters of themselves and, and and that character in the sense also of who they are and what kind of person they are and character in terms of what kind of person they want to be um, is more important truly than any of the characters I create because they're real. And so I guess the lasting message I would like to give to them is please just be who you are and don't let anyone talk you in or out of any interest that you have. And change the world. I I know you can, and I hope you will. And so I think that's my last message. Oh, Valerie, thank you so much for joining us here with with us today. Oh my (laughs) goodness. I'm, we're overwhelmed and you've been so wonderful. Well, it was very, very, very fun. And I, I would love to come back again anytime. Okay, Kristen, I think after that interview, everyone will now finally understand what an incredible person Valerie is. I I adore her so much and that just solidified every everything I've ever thought about her. I mean, wow. Absolutely. And I was not oh expecting her to, to ask us for our own story ideas. Yeah, we were definitely put on the fly there. That was fun. I know. Oh my goodness. Now that I'm like thinking about it, I could, I could have said a million things. And of course, in the moment I went with having a pet chicken. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, stay to your, true to your brand. Like, right? <laughs> oh but my goodness. I think it's just so interesting though that when she did really make me think about it. You two were talking about Molly. I was genuinely thinking of these little girls who just were sell- telling that to me, like, mm-hmm. that they were not, they were genuinely were not happy that when the, when the character, the main character always gets what they want in the end. It's like, of course they're mm-hmm. going to win the award. Of course they're going to get that, whatever it is, they're, they're going to get what they want. And they were kind of disappointed about that because I was so surprised. These girls really do know that, you know, you don't always get what you want in life. And I was honest, I was so proud of them. I was I like, and, and they just seemed so resilient about it. I just, I love that. Yeah, that was that was definitely my favorite moment in her interview, which it sounds silly because every moment could have been my favorite right. moment. But Molly's ending in that book, I have 
always wanted to ask Valerie that question. Why did you decide to not have it go her way? Because in media, everywhere you look, the girl gets, like the main character gets what they want. They they get what they worked for. And, you know, that's, that's all good. But then when you're a nine-year-old kid and stuff doesn't go well, um, it can feel really sad and like you kind of feel lost going well all of my favorite characters they're everything worked out for them why isn't it working out for me right. and obviously you know it does work out for Molly in some way but not right. the way she expected and as I've gotten older it's so obvious that what happened to her in that ending the way it happened um is ultimately just the most beautiful possible ending so I'm I don't know <laughs> what was your favorite moment well, I, okay this is gonna sound silly too though but I actually think my favorite moment was her saying that Kirsten was Kristen and I know like I not to <laughs> Not to make this about me, but like when I was a kid, I honestly, I didn't like Kirsten for a very silly reason. She's a beautiful doll, beautiful story. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that about her. But I was like, American Girl's never going to make a Kristen because (laughs) they have a Kirsten. And I'm like, honestly, Valerie just like rocked my entire American Girl world because like now I have this whole other love and appreciation for Kirsten. Like, I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Her name isn't like the end all be all. But man, that like really just rocked my whole childhood because like that really was (laughs) how I thought when I was a kid. I was like, oh, they're never going to have a a Kristen. But in a way, she kind of is. So I I was like, that's really cool. And I was so amused. I just find it so funny that the reason why Pleasant wanted to change everything was because she found an outfit that was just too perfect to not base Kirsten's entire world around. It makes me think back to that one Heather interview where she was saying, details, details, details. It's like, Pleasant will find something and she wants to go with it. So I think that's definitely an overarching thing that we've learned Mm -hmm. from like these authors and the people who work at American Girl that these details matter and they really can impact the story, the character. I think that's so cool. Yeah, I I just wish I could go back and tell nine-year-old Sydney that she'd get to interview Valerie Tripp about what went into creating all of these characters that felt like friends to her growing up. It's it's incredible. We also got a lovely voicemail from our community that I just had to include. It meant so much to me that I actually teared up a little bit when I first heard it, and I'm sure it will mean everything to AG authors like Valerie. So I wanted to share it with our listeners too. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, ladies. My name is Tori. I'm an attorney, and I never got to own an American Girl doll when I was younger due to financial reasons. But that does not mean that my love for the American Girl doll has diminished over time. I remember going to the library as a little girl with my mom and picking out all the books that I could get through for the week and really falling in love with the historical storylines that Felicity had and Kaya and Samantha as well. And I just remember falling in love with reading all over again. And then our library also had an American Girl Doll Week where we spent um, the whole week doing activities that Kit would have done. And I just want to say thank you for keeping the American Girl love alive and doing this podcast. It really means so much to women like myself who are too old to be talking about dolls. But nonetheless, we sit here and we listen and we talk about our love for um, reading and these dolls and the confidence that we have received from these dolls and they made us the women that we are today. I really, really love this podcast. I hope you have a great day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to American Girl Fan Club. And don't forget to write a review wherever you get podcasts. It really helps us out. If you're 18 and older, you can also give us a call at 206-395-6096 to share your favorite American Girl stories on our voicemail. And we might share them on the show. While you're at it, check out my Instagram at five hens and a cockatiel. And my Instagram at AG underscore for all ages. And don't be afraid to DM us. You can follow American Girl on Instagram at American Girl Brand for more updates on your favorite dolls, books, and of course, the shows on the American Girl Podcast Network. <laughs>